Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, thanks for joining us on the OIS Podcast. My name is Tom Salemi, and I'm very happy to be here with former president of ASSERS, Eric Donenfeld. Uh, Dr. Donenfeld is also founding partner of Ophthalmic Consultants of Long Island in Connecticut, and he's an advisor to many eye care companies. So I'd like to just hop into these questions. I'm coming at this. I'm a, I'm a reporter. I've been covering the venture capital industry for uh, a very long time. I remember writing about uh, when VCs were sort of just beginning to, to, to invest in startups. Obviously, they've done it to some degree, but about 15 years ago, it seemed to really ramp up. So from that perspective, I've seen a lot of attention paid to ophthalmology. Has that innovation found its way through the pipeline uh, to the practices? I mean, there's been obviously great advances in lenses and, and lasers, but what are you seeing coming down the pike that's really changed how you practice medicine? Well, there's been a lot of information in ophthalmology over the last decade, and the exciting technologies are just um, extremely common. But the things that I see that are that I think are really exciting that we're seeing now are uh, intraoperative aberrometry, being able to take uh, femtosecond lasers and incorporate them into the everyday practice of ophthalmologists to improve cataract outcomes. Mm-hmm better astigmatism management with diagnostic instruments as well as therapeutic instruments. Um, topographic lasers will be coming to the United States this year, and we're all very much looking forward to that. There's a new generation of IOLs coming that are going to be extended depth of focus lenses, and I think that may be the bridge to the accommodating lenses that we're looking forward to seeing that will hopefully be coming in the next five to ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then dry eye remains an extraordinary unmet need in ophthalmology with not only aqueous deficiency dry eye, but meibomian gland dysfunction playing a very significant role. And we're seeing innovation in all of these areas. Uh, are we really likely to see the, the greatest leap of innovation in dry eye because it, there's so much demand there? Or do you see uh, new lenses and new lasers and things coming forward that, that are really going to blow what we have out, uh, blow away what we have out today? Well, I, I see uh, the new lenses as being incremental improvements uh, right now, mm-hmm. and the major improvements will probably be uh, further down the line, uh, but they will be extraordinarily better. Uh, it's just a matter of time before we reach the goal of a true accommodating lens. Uh, as far as dry eye is concerned, I think we're going to look back at dry eye the way we look at macular degeneration, and the first-generation macular degeneration drugs were very good that they delayed the onset of disease, but they didn't really improve vision so much. And I think we'll look back in the future with new drugs in the pipeline and say that that's where we were um, in, in, the, in the 2000 to 2010 era where we had dry eye products. They controlled dry eye. They made them a little bit better. But we'll see new drugs that will significantly improve patients' quality of life and will be uh, significant improvements in, in our armamentarium in treating the most common disease that walks into our office. Mm-hmm. In, in other specialties, we're seeing the, the, the uh, specter of healthcare reforms right, casting a pall on, uh, on the potential for growth and even the adoption of new technologies. Is there any concern of something like that uh, going, uh, ongoing in ophthalmology uh, is, is, or is uh, there a willingness to pay uh, uh, there that there maybe is not in other specialties? 
ophthalmology offers significant uh, advantages uh, to venture capitalists and, and to uh, industry in that we have the ability for refractive outcomes uh, to um, go outside of third-party reimbursement and charge the patient directly, which opens up the avenue uh, for these patients to uh, innovate new technologies that would not be reimbursed otherwise. Um, there's always going to be a problem with who's going to be paying for the advances we see in ophthalmology. And as uh, reimbursement declines, I think that there will be less interest in innovating in these areas. However, a truly disruptive technology that makes a significant difference in patient care will always be needed and will always, will always find a way to pay for these innovations as well. Mm -hmm. We're going to take just a, a quick break, Eric, and then we'll get right back to questions. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application. And we're back with Dr. Eric Donenfeld. Eric, I've been covering the venture world for a while, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, it's clearly a lot smaller uh, than it once had been, particularly on med tech. Is this a concern of yours as someone who's really focused on innovation within ophthalmology? Uh, is there enough financing going on to really support the uh, number of good ideas out there? Innovation tends to run in cycles, and it's predicated on many factors, including uh, available capital, uh, the FDA, um, and the type of innovation that's taking place in private industry. And I think we've reached a place today in 2014 where it's really the perfect storm for venture capitalists in that we're seeing a demise of innovation taking place in most of the large corporate ophthalmology companies that are around today. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of the slow pace of innovation in these large companies and the restrictions that they have, innovation is going to be sought elsewhere. So what this means, it's a golden opportunity for venture capitalists to take advantage of this unique set of circumstances where it's going to be the small startup nimble companies that are going to be providing the innovation that previously was provided by these large uh, brick-and-mortar companies that are now restricting uh, mm -hmm. uh, their, uh, their innovation. So I don't really care as a clinician where innovation comes from. It can come from a large company. It can come from a small startup company, as long as innovation comes. And I think we're going to be seeing over the next short term a return to venture capital-led uh, innovation as the large companies move away from this in, in search of short-term uh, returns. So I, I, I'm very bullish on venture capital, and I think that there's a lot of good opportunities out there today. And um, as these innovations start turning into real return, I think we'll see money moving into ophthalmology in a very significant way. Hmm. Well, what is the, the entrepreneurial appetite uh, amongst ophthalmologists? Is, is there a growing interest to, 
to start a company to to get a technology that or a concept commercialized? Uh, is it is that a growing interest among ophthalmologists? Has it always been there? How how would you characterize that? You know, I, I think that ophthalmologists tend to like innovating. I think it's part of our DNA. We like to see new technology, and uh, we're now seeing the opportunity for ophthalmologists who have good ideas to partner with angel investors or venture capitalists and take their ideas um, to the point where they're ready to either be FDA approved or be able to be sold to, to larger companies who will take it the rest of the way. And I'm seeing more and more um, ophthalmologists who are adopting this philosophy. And again, that's good for innovation because it's a partnership in innovation. It has to come from industry and venture capital and also from ophthalmologists. Mm -hmm. And the ability of these groups to work together is what is so important to the innovation cycle. And I think ophthalmologists are doing their part in finding new ideas that can be uh, researched. And the companies are doing their part as well in, in helping us and supporting us in these endeavors. Another partnership, of course, is with the FDA. Uh, and I know you've, you've been involved in, in several clinical trials for leading technologies. And I'm sure you're involved in some now. Maybe you can hit upon a few that you're working on. But how is that? Uh, how do you view the FDA? Is it becoming any more uh, difficult to work with, as we've heard in other specialties? Well, the FDA um, has cycled to the point where it's been, it's been very difficult uh, to get a product approved, and some of their guidelines are fairly restrictive. But I think we've turned the corner, and I have a lot of respect for the FDA. The FDA has some very bright people working very diligently to protect the American consumer and at the same time to promote innovation. So um, I'm seeing some very significant turns in a positive direction with the FDA moving to collaborate uh, with industry and with ophthalmologists to advance technology in a, in a more expeditious uh, process. Having said this, I still think um, uh, innovation is too slow, and we need to find a way to bring innovation back to the United States where it belongs and um, uh, move the process along mm -hmm. more quickly. There's no reason why we can't take ideas to FDA trials and approval in a shorter period of time than, than is occurring today. Well, ASCRS was really uh, was really aggressive in that with the, uh, the the petition that they signed to support the the premium IOL pathway. Is that uh, is that a was that an unusual step for the organization, or or do they are, are they really more very interested in uh, moving regulatory process forward? In the American Society of Cataract Refractive Surgery's goal is to support ophthalmology and if that means that we have to expand our horizon and move to work with other organizations like uh, the FDA we're going to always do what's best for ophthalmology and what's best for our patients mm -hmm. and many times it means uh, taking a stand that may not always be popular with some people but uh, again the bottom line is we always look at what's best for our patients and if it's good for patients Ascris is going to be supporting it did that uh, generate any sort of uh, pushback from uh, the, the federal government or anyone else when, when you took that stance? Or was it well received, at least by the, the people the, the, that you're representing? You know, I, I believe that when you work with the government in, in, a, in a positive way and you're doing 
what's best for patients. Um, the FDA is going to respect what you're doing, and while we may have differences of opinion, I think we find common ground to work together uh, to meet our common goals. Mm -hmm. And um, ASCRIS and the FDA have a very positive relationship moving forward, and I hope that this relationship continues to improve where we can work together to find ways to make um, new technology available for our patients. You're the outgoing president of Astros, correct? I am. Yeah. What were uh, some of the highlights of your uh, your year at the top? What were the challenges other than perhaps the FDA? Were there some other issues that you had to take on? Well, we worked very closely with the FDA during my presidency, and, and we, we have a very good relationship with the FDA. Um, one of the major issues that I felt was important uh, for ASCUS to, to do was to uh, promote education among our residents and young physicians. And over the last year, we've really moved uh, forward in providing uh, our residents with a assist to the education that they receive during their residencies. It's unfortunate that most residents never have the opportunity to participate in some of the new technologies that are vital to our profession. Hmm. Seventy-five percent of ophthalmologists in residency never place a multifocal lens, never perform LASIK. Sixty-six percent never put a toric or an accommodating lens in an eye. That's fascinating. Uh, why, why is that? Because there's not a big medical school sort of infrastructure? or uh, A lot of residencies don't have these technologies available to them, or the people in the residencies don't do these technologies. So when residents leave the residencies, there's a, a gap in their educational training that needs to be um, uh, approached. And ASCRIS is trying to fill that gap by providing educational programs. Last year, we had our first program called REACT, uh, which is, stands for Resident Advanced Cataract Training, where we had a one-day course where we had one out of three residents in the United States in Manhattan to uh, learn from the best ASCRIS lecturers about new technologies and how to incorporate them into their practices once they uh, graduate from their residencies. We've also initiated a program uh, led by Brand, Brad Fundingsland in which we are uh, looking at ASCRIS members and uh, um, sampling them on what their unmet needs are and trying to improve our education to meet these unmet needs. And last year we interviewed 1,500 ASCRIS members looking at gaps between what is commonly done in practice and what is best treatment practices recommended by our clinical committees. And this program has really led to a resurgence in, in our iWorld programs where our education has really become uh, better and better. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've had a lot of very uh, good programs that we've moved forward with. Um, a personal interest of mine also is that ASCUS wants to give back to the community. And this past year, we've really totally renovated our foundation. And we're spending more and more resources and time improving patient care here in the United States and have developed a new cataract program for uninsured patients on a national level to make certain that every patient who has uh, a vision problem and is uninsured has the ability to have cataract surgery provided by an ASCRIS member. 
Uh, and this is being led by Kerry Solomon. It is a very exciting new initiative of the Asterisk Foundation. That's a, that's a great point. I guess I hadn't really considered that the Affordable Care Act, uh, has it really had an impact in ophthalmology because vision is not necessarily mandated? Well, there's still many patients um, who slip between the cracks and um, uh, don't have a safety net for their vision. And we feel that it's our responsibility to help these patients. Um, and these cataract programs are uh, taking off, and we hope that they will provide a real resource for patients and give the ability of ASCRIS members who give so much all the time to find another way to give back to the community. Mm -hmm. Great. I know we're running out of time. You've been generous with it. Last question. It's the one I sort of ask everybody, but uh, Google and Novartis have teamed up to, to work on a contact lens that could, could do some great things in vision and, and healthcare potentially. Do you, I know people on business side are, are looking at this partnership and, and have some thoughts on it. Do you, as a, as a physician, as someone treating patients, do you look that far out and wonder uh, whether you're going to be doing business with Google in five or ten years? Um, I have no doubt that there will be some very strange bedfellows in ophthalmology <laughs> and business. And there's one thing that's quite clear is that the old school single person practice is going to be a dinosaur and that for us to be more efficient, cost-effective, and productive, we need to find new ways of bringing groups together to provide education, information, and outcomes analysis in real-time ways to demonstrate the efficacy of what we do so that I think that the, the practice of the future is going to be incorporating technologies that allow us to provide real-time information uh, to third-party payers, uh, industry, uh, as well as to uh, watchdog uh, groups that want to see what's happening in ophthalmology. And uh, right now we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, and I see a lot of very innovative new companies out there today that are that are looking to innovate in this area, and I think that this is going to be good for ophthalmology. It's not going to be what you learned in residency any longer that, mm -hmm. that mandates how you treat patients. We're going to need really good outcomes analysis that looks at data, analyzes our results, and constantly questions what we're doing to make certain that we're providing the best treatment possible to our patients and that the, these treatment outcomes are documented in a substantial way so that we can refine them on, a, on an ongoing basis. Great. Well, thanks for the time uh, joining us on OIS Podcast. I look forward to talking to you again in Chicago. I look forward to it as well. I always look forward to the OIS, one of the best meetings of the year. Thanks again for listening to this OIS Podcast. Next week, I'll have a chance to speak with Dr. Emmett Cunningham, founding chair of OIS. Please listen in. Don't miss your chance to attend the next Ophthalmic Innovation Summit at AAO on October 16th in Chicago. OIS will showcase market-changing technologies and provide a forum for industry leaders to discuss and debate the challenges and opportunities facing this dynamic industry. Hear what world-renowned ophthalmologist and inventor Dr. Steve Charles has to say. This is a great forum to get everybody in the same room. These are not separate parts of the puzzle. They've got to be a cohesive 
unit to work together. We can't see the FDA or the venture capital community as adversarial. They've got to be part of the process. And so this is dialogue. That's what this is about. And it was a very effective forum for that. It's the fifth time they've held it. It's also very effective in the spring at the ASCRS meeting. I'm delighted to be a part of it. So visit the new OIS Super Site for more details and to register at www.ois.net.